because we're going to have a special time of prayer this morning for Ukraine. In America, we are so blessed because we have freedom, and we take that freedom so much for granted. But there are so many believers in the Ukraine today whose lives are being threatened, and they're going to lose their freedom of religion if they don't lose their lives first. And from the intercessors of America, we received this urgent request from the intercessors from Ukraine who wrote this, Dear friends, brothers, and sisters from all over the world, we are appealing to you at this dark time for us all. When black clouds from the explosions are blocking the sun over our capital, soon the elite special forces of the Russian Federation along with the Chechen Muslim units will storm one of the most ancient and beautiful cities of the world, the spiritual capital of Eastern Europe, the, the city of Kiev. And we know that that has happened. Everyone who can hold a weapon has risen to defend the capital, including students, school children, and even the retired. I don't know if you heard, but the president of the Ukraine said, uh, no one, ages 18 through 60 are allowed to leave because they need to take up arms to defend their country. And our president offered to the president of the Ukraine asylum in the US. And he said, I'm not looking to be taken away. I'm here to defend my country and my freedoms. And he took up arms, the president of the country. There's a true leader, is it not? And so these intercessors write with tears in our eyes, we ask you, regardless of the time zone that you're living in, to spend time fasting and praying to God. Pray that the Lord will protect us from the individuals who want to mock our faith and, tr and the truth of God. Prayer, prayer is stronger than the strongest enemy. With love and hope in the Lord, your brothers and sisters from Ukraine. And my heart has been so heavy ever since I read this letter and the need. I'm sure you're watching the news. It's just heartbreaking. Now, we're in a multi-ethnic church, and I recently learned that Karen D'Antonio is Ukrainian, and I don't know if there are others. Uh, I know Sister Vicky's from Romania, and that country also has suffered so much religious persecution. But here we are in America, so comfortable and cozy, and we just take for granted what others are experiencing in other parts of the world. So we're going to pray this morning. First, in unison, Peter Gregg from uh, uh, the 24-7 House of Prayer, he actually pioneered 24-7 prayer, uh, created some slides the churches could use to pray in unison. And then secondly, we're going to come into agreement with the prayer of Pastor Vlad, uh, he, as a youngster, emigrated to the United States with his family. He's Ukrainian. He came here because they were suffering religious persecution under Russia. And since then, we know they claimed their independence, but now Russia is coming back to take over their land once again. Uh, but today, he's a dynamic pastor and a great man of God who believes in the power of prayer. He pastors the uh, Hungry Generation Church in Washington State. So after we pray this prayer from these slides, let's come together in agreeing prayer, powerful prayer. You know, it's often been said that prayer is better caught than taught. 
We could teach on prayer, we could uh, preach on prayer, you could read about prayer, but the best way to learn how to pray is to hear others pray. And Pastor Vlad is a dynamic man of God who prays powerfully in these two short video clips that we're going to watch together. So let's just focus our attention on the screens as we pray together uh, this prayer this morning. Father God, King of all nations, we cry out to you for the people of Ukraine. If you could see the screen, I'm sorry, I guess it's a little small. We ask you to rescue those who are vulnerable from the hands of their enemies, that they may live without fear before you all their days. Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world, have mercy upon us. Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world, grant us peace. Lord of Lords and Prince of Peace, our politicians are predicting the biggest war in Europe since 1945. And we simply cry out to you urgently to write another story in our time. Thwart the dark machinations of evil men. Give wisdom beyond human wisdom to peacemakers seeking an equitable and less violent way. May politicians exercise the wisdom from above which is peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, and full of mercy. And by the way, that Kyrie Eliazon is Greek for Lord have mercy. So let's pray together. Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, have mercy upon us. Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, grant us peace. Is there another slide? If not, then we'll go to the YouTube clips. There is, I thought there was. You, Lord, make wars cease to the end of the earth. You break bows, shatter spears, and burn shields with fire. And so we ask you now to save the lives of many people in Ukraine. Make a peace that is strong and not weak. De-escalate this crisis. We hear of wars and rumors of wars, but you, Lord, are our rock, our fortress, and our deliverer. Our hope is in you, and so we address the nations now. In the name of Jesus, we say, be still and know God. He is exalted among the nations. He is exalted in the earth. Pray together, Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world, have mercy upon us. Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world, grant us peace. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you. Ukrainian, my wife is Russian. In fact, a few years ago, um, in a few years ago, uh, Tri-Cities did an article. They put um, a house divided. And um, excuse yeah, me, so media. We're not divided, though. Did this start at the number that I said it should start at? Because it starts with him praying. It 
It's more toward the end of the clip. His wife prays and then he prays. So you've got to move the slider over. As they're preparing that, let's just, in our own hearts, cry out to God for Ukraine. Yes, Lord. Right now. Let's just begin to intercede right now for peace to come to that area. In the name of Jesus, Lord, we pray right now for the peace to begin to come. Father, we pray for the nation of Ukraine. Lord, we pray, God, that you would begin to, even as revivals have been happening there, God, even as there is freedom, Lord God, for the preaching of the good news, we ask you, God, for the peace to begin to come into that area. We ask you that you will begin to defend that nation, God. We ask you that you will begin to, Lord God, come to that nation, Lord. We ask you, Father, as you said to pray for Jerusalem Lord today we pray for Ukraine today father we pray God for the people that are in there we pray God for the churches that are in there we pray Lord God for the pastors God we pray for the missionaries Lord that are in there God we pray for the citizens of this nation Lord let there be peace in that nation let there be shalom in that nation God we ask you father that you will begin to release your angels God to prevent the bloodshed to prevent the, the shedding of the innocent blood the shedding of the blood for the sake of the political schemes that are happening Lord God Lord let may the principalities not succeed in that region Lord may the regional demons that are seeking to spill more blood God let them not succeed Lord in Jesus mighty name father we speak Lord God that you will right now push back the darkness we speak right now Lord God that you will begin to push back every agenda every agenda to bankrupt the nations to bring extreme power Poverty, to bring violence, to bring Lord God hate between these two countries God in the name of Jesus we ask for your mercy, we ask for your wisdom, we ask Lord God for the direction of the Ukrainian president God, we ask you Lord God for the that you will turn the heart of the Russian president Lord God toward your agenda God not toward his agenda as you did with Nebuchadnezzar as you did with the pharaohs of old as you did Lord God with different kings even with dictators God where you will shift their hearts in your direction God your word says that you hold the king's heart in your heart in your hand and you can turn it the way you want it to turn it God you are sovereign Lord you are over the earth you are over the heaven God and we plead for your mercy we plead for your grace we plead to extend your mercy God we pray God for other nations right now we pray for the nations where American troops are at we pray for the nations where there is it's illegal to be a Christian we pray for the nations where Christians are in hiding right now we pray for the nations where there's violence and blood just runs down the street the blood of innocent people Lord that you will begin to bring your revival there God in Jesus mighty name we plead for your grace we plead for your mercy in the name of Jesus yes, in Lord. Jesus name Jesus amen name. amen yes Lord hallelujah after this next clip if anyone just feels led of the Lord to pray uh, we'll hand you a mic and you can have an opportunity to do that
Thank you, Lord. Lord, protection over your children, God. Strengthen, strengthen the Ukrainian Christians, Lord. So let's just pray right now. Let's ask the Holy Spirit to come. Yes. Let's agree. If you're watching this video, I want you to just, just drop that prayer right now in the comments below. Lord God, we thank you that you are the Lord over the heaven and the earth. We thank you that all the authority is given to you, Lord. And I agree right now with millions of believers around the world who are not just posting on Instagram and Facebook, but who are actually getting on their knees and praying. You said, if my people called by my name, they will pray and they will seek my face. You will hear from heaven. You will heal their land. Lord, I pray for the healing of Ukraine. Lord, I pray right now for the protection for Ukraine. Lord, I pray for the leaders to begin to have wisdom. I pray, Lord God, for the world leaders to begin to have wisdom and discernment of how to help de-escalate this situation. Lord, I pray for Mr. Putin, God, that you will begin to turn his heart, that you will begin to speak to him supernaturally as you were able to speak to the pharaohs of old, as you were able to speak to the Nebuchadnezzar, God, heathen, godless, bloodthirsty kings, but you were able to penetrate that cold, that cold and that callous heart and I pray that you will do exactly the same. Let the scales fall from his eyes. Let lies fall God. I pray Lord God that, that the spreading of the misinformation, the propaganda that is being used on the Russian television right now God, that so many people are falling prey to it. Even online God, I pray that that stuff will stop Lord. That the truth will prevail not lies, not fabrications, God, but truth will prevail in Jesus' name. Lord, we take our position as your army in the spiritual realm. Lord, we ask you that your kingdom will come and that your will be done. We ask you, God, that the kingdom of darkness will be pushed back, that the principalities and the wicked hosts, God, and the powers of this world, Lord God, will fall and crumble. We know that the enemy is undefensive because you said that, th that the gates of hell will not withstand against the church, God. And we're marching forward, not with physical weapons, but with your name and with the blood of Jesus. We agree right now for the peace in Ukraine. We agree right now for the crippling of the principalities and powers, God. For the weakening of principalities and powers over Ukraine and Russia, Lord God because of the prayers of your people, because of the cry of your people. In Jesus' name, Lord, I pray for the local churches. I pray for the local pastors. I pray for missionaries, bishops, prophets, evangelists, God, teachers. I pray, Lord God, right now for deacons. I pray for men and women of God that they will rise up, that the light of God will shine through them, Lord. I am in agreement, Lord God, with every pastor, Lord God, that their church will become a safe haven for, the, safe haven for their city. I pray, Lord God, that people will find a hiding place under the wings of Almighty God. I pray that healings, deliverance and salvation will begin to break out. I pray that this gospel of the kingdom will be preached even at this such a horrible time. 
It's such an uncertain time, Lord God, that the eyes of people will be turned to you, Lord. In Jesus' mighty name. Lord, we pray for the support to come from the United States. We pray for the support to come from the NATO, Lord God. Not only verbal support, not only God, sanctions that don't seem to work, Lord God, but, but support that will make a difference in stopping the shedding of the innocent blood in Ukraine. I pray for Ukrainian military. I pray for the citizens of Ukraine that are taking up arms to defend their livelihood, their territory, God, that you will give them wisdom, that you will begin to give them strength, that you will begin to protect them, God. Lord, we pray that on this evil earth, occupied by the rebel of yours, Satan, devil, Lucifer, that your light will shine, that your kingdom will advance, and that your plans will prevail. We trust in you. We are waiting for your second coming. We are waiting, Jesus, for you to ride on the white horse and establish your kingdom. Our soul longs for your kingdom, Jesus, to be established on this earth as it's established in our hearts. In Jesus' name. Lord, we pray for the ministries that we will be financially supporting, that you begin to give them wisdom to distribute resources in the way that will help the people who need it the most. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Is there anyone who feels especially led to lead in prayer this morning? If not, Chelsea? Thank you, Chels. That was very gracious and kind of you to offer such a kind invitation. Well, I didn't have an opportunity yet to welcome you here. It's just a blessing to see all of you, and um, 
Some of you we've not seen for a while. We were away last Sunday on vacation, so we were anxious to get back to be with our family today and are grateful for this opportunity to see you all again. We want to welcome those of you who are visiting with us. Uh, Ami, it's always good to see you. And John and Karen, I'm glad that we got to meet you. I know you were here last Sunday. Thank you for coming back. And blessings to all of you, yes, yes. Well, are, <clears throat> are we ready for God's word this morning? Amen, amen, amen. We want to welcome our online audience. It's always a blessing uh, having you join us. Thank you so much. We are in the book of Hebrews. We've been doing a series on Jesus is better. And this morning we are in part two of Jesus is better than angels. And I know we've been a very long time on just a few verses. And now by some miracle, we're going to get through the rest of the chapter this morning. And I promise that I won't keep you here half the day to do that. So if you have your Bibles or if you'd like to follow along uh, on the screen, please turn with me to uh, Hebrews chapter 1. And we're going to read uh, verse 5 through 15 together as the writer to the Hebrews talks about how Jesus is exalted above the angels. For to which of the angels did he ever say, you are my son, today I've begotten you. And again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. But when he again brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all the angels of God worship him. And of the angels, he says, who makes his angels spirits and his ministers a flame of fire. But to the Son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions. And you, Lord, in the beginning laid the foundation of the earth. And the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. And they will all grow old like a garment, like a cloak. You will fold them up and they will be changed. But you are the same and your years will not fail. But to which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool? Are they not all ministering spirits? sent forth to minister for those who will inherit salvation. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word. And Father, this morning, we thank you that you are here to speak to us through what you've written in your word. Now we ask you to write it upon our hearts. Lord, I thank you that my sufficiency is of Christ and in my weakness your strength is made perfect. I pray that you would touch these lips of clay and that you would anoint the ears of every listener in divine presence that they might hear what the Spirit is speaking to the church today. Be glorified in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen. amen. <clears throat> Media, I think this mic is just a little hot and I don't want to hurt anyone's eardrums this morning. Because you know me, I could get a little loud. Right, Ed? 
Well, in this first chapter of Hebrews, we've been seeing how the writer is going through such great lengths to demonstrate to the Jewish readers who are tempted to go back into their old Jewish faith that you guys, you're missing it. Can't you see? Jesus is far better. He's far better than the angels. He's far better than Moses. He's far better than the prophets. He's far better than the priests, the patriarchs. And he's far better than the Levitical priesthood. And anything that the Old Testament could have offered you, which was only a schoolmaster to lead you to Christ, now you have Christ. And he is far better. Why? Because Jesus is God. I mean, their hearts were after God, for sure. But when Jesus came on the scene, they're scratching their heads. Now, is he only a prophet? I, I know the prophets showed us the way to God, and Jesus is also showing us the way to God. But what does the writer of the Hebrews says? God in times past spoke to us through the prophets, but today he is speaking to us now through his son. His son is God. God the Son. He doesn't just convey truth. Jesus said, I am the truth. He just does not show us the way. He himself is the way. He does not speak to us of life. He himself is life. And when we encounter the Lord Jesus Christ, we encounter God. And when you encounter God, you better believe that something changes. There is a radical impartation that brings a transformation, an absolute radical change in your life. So well does Jesus say, he that has the son has life. Life does not come by attending a church service. Life does not come by going through a religious ritual. Life comes by encountering the living God who is revealed to us through his son. No man comes to the Father but by me. God wants to bring us all back to himself, but the way back to God is through his son, Jesus Christ. But I wonder this morning if we really get it. Because it seems to me, like the Jewish people of the first century, that somehow we've bamboozled into thinking, well, yes, I have Christianity, and I have Jesus, and I go to church, and I read my Bible. But there's still something inside of me that thinks that maybe if I get this, then I'll really be happy. Or maybe if I could experience this, then my life will be really fulfilled. My friend, we've got something wrong there. The reality is that once you find Jesus and you pursue him and love him with all of your heart, with all of your mind, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength, you have you have found what you've been looking for. There's nothing more to be had. Nothing can satisfy. No one can satisfy. No one can fulfill your life like the Lord Jesus Christ because he is God. How have we fallen into this delusion that there is still something more? Jesus is the be-all and the end-all. 
I, I, I think of that old song, that old hymn of the church that we used to sing, Hallelujah, I have found him whom my soul so long has craved. Jesus satisfies my longings, and by his grace I have been saved. That's it. That's it, friends. I think the problem might be is once we accept Jesus Christ into our hearts, we don't pursue him. We don't open up all of our hearts for all of him. And we keep those places in us that are reserved for me, for my pet sins. Oh, uh, we whitewash them, we rationalize them, but there's still something that is hindering us from entering into the fullness of all that God has for us. Jesus is better. If you don't get anything out of this series in Hebrews, I pray that the Holy Spirit would imprint upon the tables of our hearts as we journey through life and as we face challenges and temptations and whatever it might be, Jesus is better. Let that be the mantra of our lives. Let that be the watchword on our tongues. Jesus is better. I have found him for whom my soul has longed and he satisfies the deepest desires of my heart. So let's dig into this glorious passage that we've read this morning. And in verse 4, the writer to the Hebrews introduces this whole idea of Jesus being better than the angels when he says, having become so much better than the angels, how? By inheritance. He obtained a more excellent name than they. Now, that phrase, more excellent, means that the son has inherited a name that is a rank, a title that is far superior to that of the angels. Now, I don't think we're where the Hebrew Christians were in their estimation of angels. I mean, they idolized angels because it was through angels. Angels were the mediators who brought them the law of God. Angels were the, the, the agents through which the word of God was spoken. So we don't idolize angels, but, you know, I go through life and every once in a while bump into someone who talks to me about, oh, my, that's my guardian angel. I know we're surrounded by angels, but if you are focusing more on an angel that is surrounding you than Christ who is in you, who is the hope of glory, you've got your sight set on the wrong thing. It's not about angels. As we're going to read in this uh, chapter today, it's about Jesus Christ, who he is, and all that he desires to become to us. It's a rank and a title that is far more glorious than any angel could ever have because the word of God says what? That at the name of Jesus, at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue confess. Do you love the name of Jesus today? Do you praise the name of Jesus today? Do you honor the name of Jesus today? Do you exalt that name above every other name? Exalt that name over every aspiration, over every ambition, over every like, over every impulse. It's the name of Jesus that is more glorious and more powerful than any other name. Now, it's very interesting as we read this passage of Scripture that the name Jesus 
is really not what is spoken in this particular verse. And we actually don't get to read the name Jesus until we come to chapter 2 and verse 9. But the writer to the Hebrews says the name is the Son, S-O-N. And that is done intentionally because he wants his readers to understand that the Son of God is indeed God himself. The Son of God has received an inheritance. That inheritance is the DNA of God. He was with God from the very beginning, and he is indeed God. Now, that, that should speak to our hearts today as well, because when Jesus comes into our heart, gets what happens to our spirit, our spirit is regenerated. We were dead in sin, but the Spirit of God comes in and regenerates. He brings new life. <laughs> we get into these discussions, and it's important because a lot of Christians don't understand this. Well, when I get saved, why is it that I'm still drawn to this? Because your soul is being progressively saved. How you think, how you feel, what you desire, that is a progressive sanctification. But when we accept Jesus Christ into our heart, the Bible says we become a new creation. Where? In our spirit. And in our spirit, we are changed, radically changed. The DNA of God comes into us. That's why when we die, our spirit immediately goes to be with Jesus. Thank you, Deborah. But because we have God's DNA in us, and the Bible says we are now joint heirs with Jesus Christ. I mean, do we get that, or is that just a, a verse in the Bible that we've memorized? That means that everything that God says is the inheritance in Christ is also yours. Are we laying hold of that inheritance? All the things that God has given to Christ because he is his son are also ours. And yet so many Christians live in total ignorance of that. Paul tells us in Colossians 1 and 12, the Father has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints who live in the light. Who live in the light. Who are the recipients of this inheritance? That's us? Who is us? Is it every Christian? It's every Christian, yes, who is walking and living in the light. Not who comes to church on Sunday morning. Not who does all the Christian things and thinks I can pat myself on the shoulder when their heart is still walking in darkness. When they're still clinging to the world. If we love the world, the Bible says, the love of the Father is not in us. God is looking for a full and a complete surrender. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. Are you walking in communion with God today? You can be walking in communion with him if you're walking in the light, if you're walking in his truth, if you're walking in his holiness, if you're walking in his purity, if you're repenting of sin when it, when it comes into our life, and it will as long as we are in this flesh, be sure that you will get tripped up. It happened to the apostles, didn't it? 
Peter even denied Jesus. One of the disciples betrayed Jesus. Do we think that we're going to get through life and never be tempted to sin and succumb? I know we should never. God forbid, Paul says, that we continue in sin so that grace may abound. We can't, we can't have that kind of philosophy that says, oh, I can do this because I know I could go to God and he's going to forgive me. That's a dangerous place to be. God forbid the grace of God makes us say, oh, Lord, you're so good to me. Your mercy has been so wonderful. Your mercy has been so incredibly kind. I want to live a holy life. And when those temptations come, God, I want to say no. I want to have a yes in my spirit to you and to be faithful to you and to walk in purity and in holiness and with, for you and with you. But we have an inheritance, and that's the point. I know I've gotten off that path there, but we want to come back to it. We have an inheritance. But you know what? I think we don't have that inheritance because it requires a revelation. And Paul prays for the Ephesians that God would grant the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Let me read that in the voice translation, Ephesians 1.18. Open, Paul prays, the eyes of their hearts and let the light of your truth flood in. Reveal to them the glorious riches of their inheritance. Saints of God. Let's lay hold of what God has for us. Why do we walk in defeat? Why do we walk in discouragement and despair when our God has given us a glorious inheritance and we are in Christ and in Christ we can obtain that inheritance? There's a check that has been made payable to the courts of heaven in, for, in our name. We just need to cash it. We need to lay hold of what is in this book. And as we walk in the light, we will be able to do that. So what's this have to do with Jesus being better than angels? Everything. Because it makes us realize that the real riches, the true blessings, are not in anyone, anything, any extracurricular spiritual experience. Oh, I had a vision. Oh, this happened or that happened and you know sometimes we charismatics get carried away with that and I believe there are supernatural occurrences that happen and they're legitimate but when we get totally focused on those and lose sight of Jesus again we're on dangerous ground and that's why we have Jesus so that he might really reveal to us the riches of God's grace now to prove that Jesus is better than angels what does the writer of the Hebrews do and I know we need to get through this quickly because there are actually seven quotations from the Old Testament that he speaks to the Hebrew Christians and says, do you know what God said in the Old Now, the Old Testament, that was, that was their book, right? That was what they believed in. That's is what they embraced. That's what they staked their lives on. Well, he said, let me prove to you from the Old Testament what God said about angels. And so we read in verse 5, for to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son? Today I've begotten you. Or again, I will be to him a father and he shall be to, my, to me a son. When did God ever say to an angel, you're my son? 
Now, I know in Job, we read that reference where it says, and all the sons of God rejoiced, and that's speaking of the created angels as being sons of God, but not the Son of God. When did God ever say, this day I have begotten you? Never. Those words can only be attributed to Jesus Christ because he was with God from the very beginning. Now, I want to pause for just a moment and talk about this word begotten because that word can stump us. For God gave his only begotten son. Sometimes people equate that word begotten with being born. But a better translation or understanding of that word is to be brought forth. And we find that clarified when we look as an example of that in Acts 13 where the Apostle Paul is preaching the gospel to a group of Jewish people in the synagogue at Antioch. And he says, God has fulfilled this for us, their children, in that he raised up Jesus as it is also written in the second Psalm. You are my son, today I've begotten you, and that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption. Do you notice there that that term begotten is related in reference twice to the resurrection of Jesus Christ in that passage of Scripture? Not only was Jesus brought forth by the Father in eternity past, in particular, Jesus was brought forth from the Father through the resurrection from the dead. Now understand this, after Jesus accomplished his work on the cross, we know he was buried, he was in the tomb for three days, but God raised him from the dead and declared, today I have begotten you. Today I brought you forth to show to the world, to show to you, to the universe that you are my son. You are God in the flesh. You have gotten the victory over death. No human being, no power, no principality, but God himself can raise the dead. And you as God could not stay in the grave. You've been able to defeat death. Begotten of the Father, brought forth by the Father. Quickly going on, the second quote is verse 6. But when he again brings forth the, forth the firstborn into the world, he says, let all the angels of God worship him. Now this term firstborn does not mean that person that was born first, but rather it is used as, in the scripture as a metaphor to describe someone who occupies first rank and first privilege, being firstborn without being born first. You get the idea? Here are some examples in the scripture. God referred to the nation of Israel as his firstborn. Not that they were born first, because there were a lot of nations that were born first. But they are firstborn in that of all the nations in the world, God says Israel ranks right at the top. David called, uh, God called David his firstborn even though he was the youngest of eight children. You recall that? We read in Psalm 89 and verse 27, also I will make him my firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth. And then we come into the New Testament and we continue to see this repetition of Jesus being called the firstborn. 
in Colossians 1 and 15, Paul says he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all of creation. What is the Apostle Paul saying in this passage of Scripture? He is declaring that Jesus is preeminent over all creation. He ranks higher than anything that has been made. Jesus is supreme. He rules over all. He's superior over all. And he ranks higher over all that is. And then we come to verse 18 in Colossians. And he says he's the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. I love the Phillips translation there. It says life from the dead began through him. Oh yeah, people were raised from the dead, but guess what? They died again. But Jesus, when he raised from the dead, he was risen to die no more. He was risen to bring life and immortality through the gospel to you and to me. I don't know how you feel about life, but as I get older, you know, I, you know the things that were important, the things that really meant a lot, they, they don't really mean so much. And in fact, you start feeling more aches and pains and you, you, your, your whole perspective starts to change. And you know what I'm getting excited about in my older age? That Jesus is going to let me live forever and ever. We don't need to get depressed about, you know, we're in our 70s now and, oh my goodness, soon I'm going to be 80 and, oh wow, if I'm 90, how, how much longer do I have to live? The reality is he's brought life and immortality through the gospel to us and we are going to live forever. He is the firstborn from the dead. He is the first fruits, and that is the guarantee that you and I will live with him forever and forever. So let's get back to verse 6. But when he again brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let the angels of God worship him. Where's he quoting from? He's quoting from Deuteronomy 32 and verse 23. In the Septuagint, which is the accurate uh, rendering of that verse, rejoice ye heavens with him and let all the angels of God worship him. When did this happen? You know when it happened. When Jesus was born in Bethlehem and the angel came and announced to the shepherds, behold, I bring you Good tidings of great joy for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And after that announcement, the heavens split open. And I believe it was at the moment of Jesus' birth. And they sang a glorious heavenly choir. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. The angels don't receive worship, they give worship. If you're worshiping angels, you're worshiping a deity that doesn't exist because they're not deity, they're created beings. They're supernatural for sure because they're in heaven and they're spirit beings, but they're not God. In fact, they can't even know the redemption that we know. The angels would love to experience what we have but we have it, and what are we, what are we doing with it? So well does the scripture say, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Why do we keep our mouths shut? 
Why don't we give God the praise that is due his name for his great salvation that he's given to us? Quickly going on here. So how's Jesus more superior than angels? Angels, though they're supernatural beings, they do mighty acts and deeds, they never are worshipped. They only offer worship. In fact, if you read in different accounts in the Bible, there have been times they appeared to man and man recognized, oh, I'm encountering something supernatural and they, they're wanting to bow down. No, don't you dare worship me. I'm not to be worshipped, only God. Then quoting Psalm 104, we come to Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 7. Of the angels, he says, he makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. And this again, speaks to the role of angels. Why do they exist? Why has God created them? Because God wanted messengers to be dispatched to fulfill his commandments and accomplish his work wherever he sends them to do whatever he asks them to do. And it's a fascinating study in God's Word, and we don't have time, obviously, today to get into it. In our first message on angels, we spoke a little bit about this, but how powerful is an angel, that one angel? How many thousands of the Syrians did that one angel kill? I mean, it's just amazing. But they're, they're, they're just servants, servants to do the will of God. Jesus is so much greater because he's the one with the authority to command those angels to do the bidding of God, to obey the orders that God gives so, so the writer to the Hebrews is building this case and he's wanting us to understand that there is no way that we should ever elevate angels to any place near Jesus Christ. And when I think of that, I think, you know, again, we, we don't relate so much to what the challenge was for the Hebrew Christians. What, what is it in our heart? What is it in our life that we want to elevate to, to a place that should not be in that position because Jesus is better. Jesus is greater. Jesus is higher. Jesus is more glorious. And he shows then this special relationship. That's why he's better because he has a different relationship with God than do the angels, verses 8 and 9. But to the Son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions. If you ever want a proof text that talks about the deity of Jesus Christ, people say, oh, uh, Jesus was just a great prophet. Oh, I'm sorry. My Bible tells me that God himself called his son God. As plain as day, it's here. God, your throne, O oh God, your throne, Jesus, is forever and ever. Your kingdom is forever and ever. Jesus, you will reign forever and ever because you are my son. You are one with me. And that which I have purposed from all eternity will be accomplished. And I love this verse because it teaches us something so very important about Jesus. How he lived his life and what made him worthy then to have this place of such high exaltation. 
because Jesus loved righteousness and hated lawlessness, the Bible says God anointed him more than his companions. As charismatics, we put a real high premium on the anointing. And I want you to know that the anointing does not come by going through a fire tunnel. As wonderful as that experience might be, and again, as charismatics, we get taken up with, oh, if I could get into that meeting, boy, I'm going to get a download and, a, and an anointing on my life. Do you know how the anointing comes? The same way it came on Jesus. He loved righteousness. He loved what God loved, and he hated what God hated. Those are two words that are polar opposites, and they are powerful words. I think as Christians, we like what God likes, but do we love what God loves? You know what God loves? He loves fasting. How many of us are fasting? I'm not asking for a show of hands. God loves purity and holiness. How many of us will turn the TV off when something dishonoring of God comes on? Or have we become so numb that we feel like, oh, it's nothing. I mean, that's the world in which we're living today. That's the language. If you want to watch TV, that's what's on TV. Sorry. No, you not. Your body is the temple of God. Your body, your ears, your eyes, your mouth, your hands, your feet. He dwells in us and he desires, he loves righteousness. He loves right living, just living, pure living, holy living. And when we think that I could walk my own way and do my own thing and God is just going to let it slip by, no, 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 no. You could go through all the fire tunnels you want to go through. You're not going to get the anointing of God. It comes through holy, holy living. Then again in uh, Hebrews 10 and 12, we're getting through this, this chapter quickly. We're quoting Psalm 102 for those of you who are taking notes. Verses 25 through 27 showing the superiority of Jesus. Drink, drink in this passage. You, Lord. Now this is the Old Testament. Messianic prophetic word concerning Jesus. You, Jesus, in the beginning laid the foundation of... Who laid the foundation of the earth? God. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. They each had a different function. Jesus was the agent in creation. God spoke the word Jesus the agent that created the worlds and the universe. And the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all grow old like a garment, like a cloak. You will fold them up and they will be changed. Yeah. You real comfortable on this earth? The Bible says it's all going to melt with fervent heat. We're looking for a new heaven and a new earth. D did you, of course you knew that, right church? You know, th this world as it stands today is not going to stand forever. There's too much corruption, there's too much, too much ground that has been polluted by blood. God's going to create a new earth and a new heaven. That universe, I mean, it blows our minds to consider how vast is that universe. And God says, that universe, I'm going to fold it up like a cloak, like you fold a piece of clothing and put it away. I'm going to put it away because I'm going to create something new. 
No wonder why the scripture says that eye is not seen, neither is ear heard. The things that God has prepared for those who love him. And if we will walk in purity, if we will walk in holiness, if we will have our hearts set on Jesus Christ in loving him with all of our heart, all of our mind, all of our soul, all of our strength, then we will be able to say, Lord, I know there awaits for me an abundant entrance into your kingdom and my eyes will be open to all the glories that are awaiting me there. The writer is such an amazing apologist. If you ever want to study apology, that is the defense of your Christian faith, study the book of Hebrews because he does it in such a magnificent way. And he leaves no stone unturned to prove that Jesus is so much greater than the angels. And so we read, as we come to the conclusion here, Hebrews 1 and 13, quoting Psalm 110, verse 1. But to which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool? Sit in the place of honor at my right hand until I humble your enemies, making them a footstool under your feet. You know, evil is so pervasive in our world. Evil is so strong. I don't know about you, but sometimes I shake my head as I'm listening to the news and I, I think, how could these lies just mesmerize people who believe them? How could these lies permeate our world and our society as Pastor Vlad even prayed, this Russian propaganda that is trying to make the Russians believe that what Putin is doing is a righteous and a, a right and a just thing. That, that's a blatant lie. It's a, a fabrication from the pit of hell. God doesn't want his people to be in bondage. God doesn't want his people to be in darkness. And so he, he is, he's saying here that you need to know, you need to understand that Jesus is so much better. He's been seated at the right hand of God and evil will not always prevail because the day is coming when every single enemy will be the footstool of Jesus Christ. And every tongue who has cursed Jesus, every unrighteous life that has lived in open, defiant rebellion against God will be judged and condemned and given their just due. Now, if you're a person who loves justice, like I would hope as Christians all of us do, I don't know, irk is just too, too simple. No, it profoundly disturbs me when I see so much injustice in our world today. But the day is coming when King Jesus is going to make everything right and just. And every lie and every evil is going to be put down forever and ever because he is seated in that place of authority at the right hand of God. And do you know what my Bible tells me in conclusion? It tells me that you and I, because we belong to Jesus in the worlds that are to come, we are going to be seated together with him in that place of authority to rule and reign. How will we be worthy to take on such a position as that?
Well, in Revelation 3 and 21, we read the answer. And if we want to be seated together with Christ on his throne, that condition is laid out to him who overcomes. There it is again. It's for the overcomer. Do you want to succumb to all the suggestions of the enemy? Or are you going to be an overcomer? I will grant to sit with me on my throne as I also overcame. Why is Jesus worthy to be seated at the right hand of the Father? Because he overcame. And as we overcome, he will seat us with him in that place of authority. Our future is glorious. Our future is beyond anything that we could ask, think, or imagine. But while we are living today on this earth, as I spoke yesterday in Sister Ada's memorial service, we have an opportunity to prepare. That's why we're still alive. This is preparation for the graduation. You can't graduate until you prepare. You can't graduate until you've completed your destiny. God has a destiny for every one of you today. God has a plan. God has a purpose. Some through the water, some through the flood, some through the fire, but all of us through the blood. All of us by the Spirit of God. All of us being led by the captain and the leader of our salvation who is the author and the finisher of our faith will be faithful to perfect that which concerns us if we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. If we set our gaze on Jesus and say, Jesus, you are better. If we make Jesus our all in all. If we make Jesus more valuable than the most valuable things to us in life. If we make Jesus more important than succumbing to those desires and appetites of our flesh. If we make the indwelling of God's Holy Spirit more important that we will not allow ourselves in any way to stray away from Christ. Recognizing no one, nothing, nothing can compare to Jesus. He is all glorious. You know what the Christian life is all about? Falling in love with Jesus over and over again. You can hear this sermon and say, oh, pastor, you're preaching a hard message today. And that means I, I got to get more spiritual and I, I, maybe I got to read my Bible more. Maybe I got to pray more. Yeah, it, it will take those things. But that's not the end goal. The end goal is loving Jesus. <laughs> Jesus says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Just give me, give me your whole heart. Make a full surrender. Set your gaze upon me. And I will become the lover of your soul, the answer to your deepest longing, the fulfillment of your greatest satisfaction. Will we allow him to be that for us today? In closing, I want us to sing an old chorus of the church, such a great chorus. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. I don't know what is distracting you today. Each of us has, has we're, we're, in, we're in this earth suit and we're in this world. So we're, we're seeing through these eyes, these ears. This is the soul that needs to get sanctified because if it doesn't get sanctified, that what we see might be drawn in a wrong direction. But if we set our sights on Jesus by the eyes of our spirit, 
See, the eyes of our spirit need, need to get strengthened. The eyes of our spirit need to be flooded with light as Paul prayed for the Ephesians. And when it does, we will gaze upon Jesus and all of his glory and grace. And the things of this earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Will you stand with me as we sing this song together and make it the prayer of our hearts? If you would like to come and spend time at the altar... The altar is always open. Let's make this the closing prayer as we close our service today.